We continue today in our, our series in 1 Corinthians. Um, and we're leaving spiritual gifts. We've been talking spiritual gifts, specifically tongues um, and prophecy, but really all the gifts in the body and how they work together and why God gave them. And we've been kind of dealing with those. Uh, and now Paul shifts gears, okay? And, and some of you are like, finally, we can talk about something else. Um, and he shifts gears to deal with the topic of the resurrection. And here's the thing about the resurrection. Um, it was something that, that wasn't readily accepted in Greek culture. And here's why. One, because it sounds mythical. Right? A, 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 well, I mean, just Jesus Christ in the incarnation sounds mythical, right? Like, like God of the universe becoming um, human, right? Being born of a virgin becoming, sounds mythical. But even more so, that God choosing to die... And then coming back to life. Right? It sounds fanciful. And it sounds mythical and fanciful because it's supernatural. Something like that does not happen without power of God behind it. Right? As Christians, we should never believe that supernatural can't happen. We just know that supernatural means that it's beyond natural. And the only thing that can make something beyond natural happen is the God of the universe who works outside of nature. And the resurrection, right, the resurrection is one of those things. But the Greeks, they thought, we've talked about this already in the series, but just as a reminder, they thought that physical was evil. Spirit was good. Spirit was good. Spirit was right. Spirit was pure. But physical was evil. And so some of the great Greek philosophers, Aristotle, Socrates, Plato, here's what they taught. They taught that death was actually an escape from the prison of the physical. And so when when Christians come along, when Paul comes along and he starts preaching about the resurrection from the dead, like this is a good thing, they scoff at him to a degree. In fact, when Paul's preaching in Athens, we read in, in Acts, I think, 17, they laugh at him. They laugh at Paul, some of them, when he says that Christ rose physically from the dead. Because they didn't understand this. Now, the Christians in Corinth, they bought Right? But, but all of a the sudden now, they're starting to, to waver in, in what they teach, and, and heresy is starting to maybe come into the church. And so Paul's going to deal specifically with the issue of the resurrection. And I want to tell you, the resurrection matters. Here's what helps if I turn it on every time. Um, here, here's what Paul says, and, and this will actually be covered next week, but I, I just want to put this in front of you because this will, this will pepper the entire 58 verses that we're going to tackle in 1 Corinthians 15. Don't worry, we've we got three weeks to do it. Right? And, and it's the most full treatment of the resurrection that we have available in Scripture. Right? But here's what he says about it. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. And you're still a sinner. And those who've also died in Christ, they've just died. They've just perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, then we are of all people most to be pitied. This is Paul saying, the resurrection happened. And if the resurrection didn't happen, then you might as well pity us because we're still stuck in our sin. We believe something wrong and we're just hopeless. Right? The resurrection matters. 
And the resurrection is taught all throughout Scripture. Jesus himself told us that he was going to die and be resurrected. I want you to understand this. You, you know this in theory, but I want you to see in text how, how Jesus has said this would happen, right? Because the church needs to understand that, that what we're not doing is we're not saying, Jesus died. Quick, let's figure out how to spin it and sell it. Well, let's just pretend he always knew he was going to die and this was supposed to happen all along. No, 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 that's not what happened. He actually told us this before he died. Look what he says in Mark. Jesus began to tell them, to teach them, the Son of Man must suffer many terrible things. And he's going to be rejected by the elders, the leaders, and the teachers of the religious law. He's going to be killed. But three days later, he's going to rise from the dead. Jesus taught this before it ever came to fruition. Jesus taught this when people were flocking to him to hear his teaching. People at the, at the height of his popularity, people were coming to hear his message. And Jesus is telling his disciples, hey, don't be fooled. Don't be fooled. I'm going to be rejected. I'm going to suffer terrible things. Remember all those words in Isaiah 53? They're about me and it's going to happen. But don't worry. I'm not going to stay dead. I'm going to rise from the dead. Here's what he said in John. Here's what, he, here's what he tells Martha. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me, they will live. They will be resurrected even after dying. This is the heart of the gospel. I am the son of God. God incarnate, God in flesh. And if you believe in me, then yeah, you're going to die like everybody else dies. But you will live again. See, the resurrection matters. It is the basis for all of our Christian faith. If the resurrection didn't happen, then we are wasting our time. And it's the resurrection, honestly, it's the resurrection that made the church spread. Sometimes we, we focus on a lot of things. We focus on a lot of, uh, of good Christian things. We focus on who knows what, social action. Yeah, sure, there's no problem with social action. Right? We focus on uh, making the world a better place. That's all fine and good, right? But, but none of that ever should trump the gospel and the message of resurrection, because it's the message of resurrection that caused the growth of the church even in the midst of persecution. Wholehearted belief in the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the life that is to come next. When you really believe it, when you really have this utter, total belief about the resurrection, then here's the deal, right? They can do whatever they want to you. They can throw you in a pit with lions. That happened to Christians. They could tie you up at a stake and set it on fire if you won't recant your faith. That happened to Christians. They can put you on your knees and they can threaten to cut your head off if you won't recant. That still happens to Christians. But wholehearted belief in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, belief that there is a life to come that dwarfs this one, that will cause you to withstand any number of things. That'll cause you to stand strong 
in the face of prison, ridicule, torture, death, or when your neighbors make you feel bad. I put that last one on there to show us how ridiculous we are sometimes, right? Nobody's throwing us in prison or torturing us or, or, or you know, death. Um, but man, sometimes they make fun of me and it hurts my feelings. Listen, when we understand the resurrection, right, no fear or dread in this life can quench the hope and joy we have. You wonder why people can stand up proudly in their faith, right, against all odds when sometimes it's hard for you, for us, to, to stop looking for dry shampoo? I Challenge accepted. <laughs> I'm going to stop washing my hair too. Lisa, I'm with you. Right? Do we wonder why? I mean, do you ever look in the mirror? Do you ever have honest conversations? When you read about Christians in other countries and you read about what's happening and you read about the strong, crazy faith of people or when you meet people, Christians here, that are just on fire with the gospel for the Lord and they're just so focused and you're like, why don't I have that? Like, why can't I experience that? Part of the problem is sometimes we might not really we might not really believe the resurrection. And the resurrection is the power to live the Christian life. Without it, we should be pitied more than any other people in the world. With it, we can stand strong in the face of anything. And so this is what Paul is dealing with as he starts to write chapter 15. He's writing to Christians that believe that Christ was resurrected, but they're not sure about their own. They're starting to wonder and waver, and, and heresy is starting to sneak in the church, right? And Paul's saying, stop. Stop. We have to understand about the resurrection. And before we understand about our personal resurrection, he says, you have to look at Jesus. Jesus, our model, the author and perfecter of our faith, he was resurrected, and it's in his resurrection that you have hope for your own. And he's going to show us proof. So here, here, here's what he says. Uh, let's, let's jump into 1 Corinthians 15. If you've got your Bibles open up, we're going to look at 11 verses. Okay? And we're going to do it a, a chunk at a time. So we'll start with um, the first half of the first verse in chapter 15. He says, now I would remind you, brothers. This is Paul talking here. And he says, I want to remind you guys. Right? I want to remind you of the gospel that I preach to you. So he starts with just this simple, fundamental thing. He's like, before I get into this, before we talk about this, I want to remind you that this is what I taught you from the beginning. I want to remind you, brothers, you, brothers, sisters in Christ, family, you, you're with me, and this is what I taught. Remember, I came to you and you knew nothing. I came to you and you were all lost. And I came and I preached the gospel to you. That's what I came with. He's like, I came with this foundational thing. That Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ came for you. He died for you. And he was resurrected by the power of God. And he is willing to save you. That's what I came with. Paul says in other place uh, in Corinthians, he's like, I sought to know nothing with you. I didn't know anything except Christ crucified. Meaning I didn't try to teach you any other thing except about this. The resurrected Jesus. 
That should be our message. That's our main message, right? We, 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 we preach all kinds of different things, yes, right? But it is all rooted and foundationed in the gospel. I remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you. And if we're not clear, let's just look. This is what Paul wrote in Romans. We know it as the Romans wrote. He wrote it in his letter to Rome. It's walking through with the gospel. All sin and fall short of the glory of God. Every single person sins and falls short of the glory of God. You may be a better person than I am. Odds are good. Odds are good that your heart is more pure and that you're nicer and that you're kinder and that you're better looking and more talented. But you still fall way short of the glory of God. Everyone has sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The best person you know has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And guess what? There's bad news. The wages for that sin, the cost for that sin, what you must pay for that sin is death. And that is physical death, and that is the second death, which is hell. Everybody sins. Paul says this. He's like, this is the gospel. He's like, I came to you, brothers, and I preached the gospel. And the gospel is this. You are a sinner, and the wages for that sin is death, and you are hopelessly lost. But there is a gift of God, and that's eternal life through Jesus Christ. Right? Because Romans 5, 8. While you were still sinners, while you were hopelessly lost, Jesus died for you and he was resurrected for you. So now everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And calling on the name of the Lord is not just saying Jesus as you lay on your deathbed. Calling on the name of the Lord is saying, Jesus, I have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I Oh, a penalty of death. You sent Jesus Christ on my behalf to pay the penalty for my sin so that through his death and resurrection, I can be forgiven. And Jesus, I call on the name of the Lord for your sacrifice to count for me. I call on the name of the Lord on my knees to say, I am a sinner in need of saving. I am a man in need of grace. God, Save me. I give you my life. That's the gospel. That's what Paul came preaching. That's what he says. He says, I remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you. Listen, I'm going to put a pause in this here. We're going to spend the next three weeks talking about the resurrection from the dead, starting with Jesus and ending with you. That as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus Christ, you will not stay dead. It is destined for you to die like everyone else. But Jesus says, those that believe in me, even though they die, they will live again. And we're going to talk about the resurrection for three weeks. And it is meaningless to you. It is meaningless to you. It is salt in a wound. It is insult to injury if you are not saved.
So I, I don't know where you're at. I don't know. Some of you have been coming here. This is like week number one. Hi, welcome to Blessed Hope. Glad you're here. Fill out your connection card on your, uh, on your bulletin. Drop it in the offering thing on your way out. Stop, get a gift. Glad you're here. Some of you have been here longer than I have. But that doesn't mean that you're saved. Because salvation does not come through showing up. Salvation doesn't come through knowing some stuff. Salvation comes by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. It comes with knowing that I am a sinner and that the wages for that sin is death and that I am in desperate need of a savior. And that one is Jesus Christ who conquered death on my behalf. If you're here today and you are not a Christian, you have not surrendered to Jesus. You have not fallen on your knees at the foot of the cross and screamed out in your heart of hearts, I need saving. Then the resurrection is meaningless to you. And so that's my invitation for you. Is it weird if we do an altar call in the middle of the service? We'll get back there. We'll talk at the end. Listen, you need Jesus. If you don't have Jesus, you need Jesus. Otherwise, all of this is pointless. But Paul said, man, I want to remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you. And guess what? You received it. It's great that Paul preached it, right? There are a lot of, there are a lot of people who will share the gospel, but your getting saved doesn't hinge on my telling you. I could tell you all I want about the gospel. I could tell you about the gospel that saves, that saved me. I could tell you about how I was lost and now I'm found, how I was blind, but now I see. I could tell you all of those things, but it doesn't save you. For to save you, you have to receive it. And Paul says, you received it. You believed it. You understood it. You took advantage of it. You fell on your knees and you claimed it for your own. I want to remind you of the gospel I preached and you received it. And now you're standing in it. You're living it out. You're not just sitting at home. Oh, listen, as a pastor, nothing drives me crazier than this cultural idea of easy grace. If you're counting on easy grace, then man, you are banking on the wrong thing. See, here's what happens. Sometimes in this day and age of this cultural Christianity that sometimes we practice, not necessarily here at Blessed Hope, but just in the West, right? Here's what we do. We say things like, you're a sinner that needs saving. Do you want to be saved? Do you want to go to heaven someday? Well, what idiot sits around and says, no, man, I pick hell. But yes, of course I'm a sinner and I, of course I want to be saved. Right? And so we say, I believe in Jesus. I, I, I know he's real, right? I, I know he, he, yep, I believe it. Thanks, Jesus. But then I just say, okay, I'm saved now. Now I get to go to heaven. And you keep going on and living a life the same way you always did. It's fundamentally as if you've taken Jesus, you've opened up your wallet, right? And you've put him basically where I have my AAA card. You got a AAA card? I know, if, if having a AAA card... Some of you are like, okay, Matt, that's not very manly. You should be able to do that stuff on your own. Whatever. I don't care. I don't want to change a tire in the cold. Right? Worth every stinking penny. You know why? Because once Carrie was driving home in the dead of winter, she got a flat tire. She pulled into John's quick step. I mean, it was like 20 below. And it was like 10 o'clock at night. And she's like, hey, 
I'm in the parking lot at John's Quick Stop. I got a flat tire. Can you come get me? Yes. And I thought to myself, that is not what I want to do in the morning. I don't want to get up early. I don't want to go change that tire. It's going to be cold. And I'm not good at it. Right? I can do it. And then I remembered, oh yeah, right here behind my license before my insurance card. I'm a proud member of AAA since 2015. And the nice man from AAA came and did it for me while I sat in the car drinking coffee. Thanks be to God. Also, it was worse because the spare was out of air, so he had to get out his air pump and fill it up. So even if I'd done it, it wouldn't have worked. None of that matters. Here's the point. Back on track, Matt. Here's the point. The point is this. That's what you want to do with your salvation. You want to take it and you want to stick it in your wallet, right? So that when you die, you can pull out your, no, 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 I believed in Jesus card and, and try to get to heaven that way. That's easy grace, right? That's not what Christianity's about. Those are people that are going to say to Jesus, hey, well, time out, what about me? And he's going to say, get away from me, man. I never knew you. Easy grace doesn't work. But Paul says, you didn't just receive it. Here's what you did. You believed it and you're standing in it. You're living it out. It meant something to you. It matters to you. You're framing your life around this truth of the resurrection. And he says, it's the, it's the, it's the message, it's the gospel by which you are being saved if you hold fast to what I preach to you. Otherwise, your belief is in vain. Sometimes we look at this like, oh, I better be careful. I can lose my salvation. I'm, I'm not sure that's what Paul's trying to say here. In fact, I, I just don't think so. I think what he's telling you is that belief isn't enough. It's belief coupled with movement. You have to receive it, but you also have to stand in it. You can't just say, oh yeah, I believe in Jesus, and then you're good to go. There has to be something here. You have to hold in. You have to walk in it. We call this doctrine, in case you care. You don't care, but I'm going to tell you anyway. You can sound fancy at parties and stuff. This is the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. Here's what the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints says. Truly born-again Christians will persevere until the end. Only those that persevere until the end are truly born again. Right? That's what I mean. Working out your salvation with fear and trembling. Standing in your faith. Belief is fine. Right? But belief wanes. Have you ever woken up in the morning? I mean, I know some of you have been Christians a long time. Have you ever woken up in the morning and you've said to yourself, I'm not sure I believe this anymore. I'm not sure that this is real. Why is my life so hard? I don't know that I believe this. And we struggle and sometimes belief ebbs and flows and it comes and it goes. But if we believe and stand firm, because you know what? On those days when I'm not sure, right? I'm still walking full steam ahead. And when I do that, guess what? God shows up. God shows up. He shows out. Believing is one thing. Believing with your heart is something different. Believing in your head, right, is like cramming for a test. You'll know that information right up into the point you answer the questions on the test. 
right? You'll know it for just a second, right up until you answer the questions. And then it's gone. Believing with your heart, that's like learning something that you just know. Paul says you received it, you're standing in it, and it is going to save you. And then he's going to give evidence for it. Right? I delivered to you of first importance. Right? He's going to give you evidence. He's going to tell you why you can trust the gospel. Why you can trust that Jesus really did raise from the dead. In our world, we don't always track fanciful things. Right? We are predisposed. I don't know if you've noticed this in our culture. We are predisposed to assume people are lying to us. If they tell us something that we didn't already believe and agree with, we assume they're wrong and they're lying to us. Like, there's not a lot of intellectual, like, give and take here in our culture. It's like, I know what I believe, and when you say something, I'm either going to say, that's a great point, I agree with you, or I'm going to say, no, I think you're wrong, right? We just, we don't have a lot of this give and take anymore. We don't often look for proof. We don't often look for evidence. We don't often have this kind of open dialogue with one another. It's problematic in our culture. Um, and, and it's not new to us, right? It, it happens. So Paul says the resurrection here, listen, really listen. Let me give you the proof of it. You might say, no, 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 resurrection's not real. It's fanciful. It's supernatural. You might say, how can anybody die and be raised from the dead, right? How can any of that happen? And Paul says, well, just listen. The resurrection is real. You heard it. You received it. You're standing in it. It'll save you. And here's why you can have confidence in believing it. He's like, I'm going to give you some proof. And he unpacks this like it's a court case. Here's what he says. I delivered to you as first importance what I also received. And it's the truth, the gospel, right? He, he's just repeating himself. I delivered to you what was of first importance, and that was the gospel. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. He was buried and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Here's what Paul really wants you to know. The gospel was foreordained. It's what Peter preaches in Acts. The first sermon, he says, this Jesus that you put to death, he said, but that was part of God's good plan, right? You put him to death, but God ordained that it happened, right? He's saying, look, historical fact, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, theological fact, it was for your sin, right? It happened, and it happened for your sin, and it was always understood to be happening for your sin. If you read the Old Testament, this reality of Jesus, his death, his ultimate resurrection, his bodily resurrection, his living again, if you read the Old Testament, you will find it. In fact, you ever wonder what Jesus talked to those two disciples about after his resurrection? He's on the road to Emmaus, Luke 24. Jesus has, has hidden who he is from their eyes, right? He's just walking, a, a dude walking with these two other dudes, and, and, and they're walking along, and they're talking all sad, and he kind of does this thing where he, he kind of comes alongside him, and he says, man, you guys are pretty bummed out. Why are you so bummed out? And they're like, haven't you heard? There was this guy, Jesus, and we thought he was the Messiah, and we thought he was going to save us. And the Romans put him to death and he's buried. 
And then, like, some of our women went to the tomb, and he wasn't there anymore, and some angels said he was born again, and he was resurrected, and we don't know what to make of any of it. And, and so Jesus then, it says in Luke 24, that he shared with them from the Old Testament, the law and the prophets, and he showed them from the Old Testament how everything that happened had already been explained. And their response, they looked at each other and they said, didn't our hearts burn within us as he shared that truth? Like it was verified in our souls. What he was showing us from the Old Testament was real. And we already saw that Jesus predicted this. He says, I'm telling you, right, what's of first importance, that the scriptures, the fact that the scriptures said it was going to happen before it happened, that is evidence that it happened. It's evidence they told you ahead of time that it was going to happen. He said there's more. Not only that, we have eyewitnesses. Then, after he was resurrected, what did he do? He went and he talked to Peter. He talked to Cephas, Peter. He talked to Peter, showed himself to Peter. Peter saw him. Peter ate with him. Peter, the leader of the apostles, right? Showed himself to Peter. And not just Peter, but then the twelve. Showed himself to the twelve. Ate with the twelve. Told one of them, touch, put your hand here. See that it's me. And these guys are the foundation of the church. And guess what? The resurrection caused them to radically radically risk and ultimately pay everything. Listen, the 12, they were not celebrity pastors. They weren't flying around in Gulfstream jets. They weren't living in mansions, right? They, they, they weren't driving Bentleys with a fleet of cars, right? The, the, this wasn't them. They were being um, stoned, and mocked and persecuted. Eventually, they were being beheaded. They were being crucified upside down. They were being drugged out of the city and beaten. Like, like these guys weren't like throwing this message out there because it made their life easy. These guys radically risked everything. Why? They radically risked everything because they had seen the resurrected Jesus. And once you've seen the resurrected Jesus, once you've met the resurrected Jesus, I mean really met the resurrected Jesus, how can you not give everything? How can everything else not be worthless and garbage compared? That's what Paul says later. He's like, man, I had it all. And now I consider it all to be garbage compared to knowing Jesus. Because once you've met the resurrected Jesus, there is not a cost you won't pay. But it wasn't just the 12. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some are asleep or dead. He's like, so if you don't want to believe Peter... You don't want to believe the rest of the 12. Then here's the deal, right? Jesus showed up at one point with more than 500 people. So it's not just one person that says, oh, trust me, it's true. 
Like, it was public. It happened publicly to 500 people. He was dead, crucified, buried, resurrected, and he shows up with like 500 dudes. And, and he's like, you want evidence, right? Go talk to them. Yeah, it was two decades ago, but they're still alive. Most of them anyway, go talk to them. Check it out. There's no reason for you to doubt this. And then he appeared to James. This James is Jesus' half-brother James. He's already talked about the 12. There's a couple of Jameses in the 12, but this is Jesus' half-brother, the leader of the Jerusalem church. You know what we know about James? We read it in the Gospels. James thought Jesus was crazy. James didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. James begged Jesus to shut up about it because you're going to get yourself killed. But after seeing the resurrected Jesus, James said, you know what? Now that I've seen the resurrected Jesus, there's no way I can't believe in him as the Messiah. And what I used to fear for him, I'll gladly take on myself. James ultimately was beheaded. James had his head cut off because he would not stop preaching Jesus. Paul says, James saw him. And then all the leaders of the church. And he says, last of all, as to one untimely born, I saw him too. And what he means by untimely born is this. Jesus, when he was resurrected, spent 40 days, 40 days walking and showing himself to the disciples and teaching the disciples and, and the 500, right? Jesus spent 40 days with them. And then we read in Acts 1, after 40 days, right, they're, they're at the mountain and Jesus says to them, all right, here's the deal, right? You are going to be my witnesses. They're like, Jesus, when is your kingdom coming? He's like, stop it. Stop, stop worrying about that. I already told you. I don't know. Right? Only the Father in heaven knows that. But until then, here's the deal. You are going to be my witnesses in Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Right, and, and so you stay here and you wait for the power of the Holy Spirit that is going to help you do the job that I've given you. And while they're standing there, Jesus ascends to heaven. And they see him no more. But after that, Paul has an encounter with the risen Jesus. He sees Jesus on the road to Emmaus when he's actually persecuting the church. He's actually killing people that claim that Jesus was resurrected from the dead. Jesus appears to him and basically tells him, you can read about it in Acts, basically says, knock it off, I'm real. And Paul's life is radically changed. So he says, he appeared to me as one untimely born. It was after his ascension, but he did show himself to me. And my life radically changed. He said, I'm the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I actually persecuted the church of God. But Jesus did this radical thing in my life. Once I saw the resurrected Jesus, I had no choice but to give him everything. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain because I worked harder than any of the other apostles. He said, but not really me. It was the grace of God in me that worked. See, here's three things that happened when Paul met the resurrected Jesus. And I wonder if they've happened to you. 
When Paul met the resurrected Jesus, he had a deep recognition of his sin. Listen to me, friends. You cannot be saved from your sin until you have a deep recognition of your sin. If you think you're okay, then you cannot be saved from your sin. If you want to be saved from your sin, then you must have a deep recognition of your sin. You've got to... You've got to be stabbed to the heart with the dagger of your sin to know how bad it is. If you think you're good, I mean, Jesus said, I didn't come to call the healthy. I came to call the sick. I didn't come to call the righteous. I came to call those who know they need saving. You want to be saved? you want to experience the resurrection that's coming, then when you meet the resurrected Jesus, you need to have a deep recognition of your sin. And that deep recognition of your sin leads to a revolution of your character. You are made new in Jesus. You are not who you were. You are someone new. See, that's what happens when you become a Christian. You become a Christian. You have this deep recognition for your sin. I'm not okay. I'm not pretty good. I'm not decent. I'm not better than the other guy. I am wicked and evil and wrong and I need saving. And and I have this recognition and Jesus then saves me. and, And that's a revolution in my character. I am born again. I am made new. And that leads to this dramatic redirection of our energy. I'm going to be somebody new. I wasn't just made new, but I'm going to be new. I'm going to walk in it. I'm going to devote my life to it. Each one of the apostles, they saw their need. They were radically made new, revolutionary character change. And they they redirected their energy to the gospel. Here's what they were about. I've met the resurrected Jesus, and you need him. I've met the resurrected Jesus. You need him. You guys better stop talking about Jesus or we're going to whip you. I don't care. You better stop talking about Jesus. We're going to throw you in jail. I don't care. You better stop talking about Jesus or we will literally cut your head off. I don't, and then the head was gone. (laughs) I know, it was terrible. It's terrible. This is the thing, radically, dramatically changed. And then Paul ends the chunk this way. He says, so then whether it was I, talking about the other disciples, other apostles, he said, whether it was I or they, it doesn't matter. Was it me? Was it Peter? Was it, was it Matthew? Was it whoever? I don't care who preached. Like whoever it was, it's the same gospel we preach and you believed it. Here's the thing for us, right? It doesn't matter to us who's the one doing the preaching of the gospel. What matters to us is that people are being saved by the resurrected Jesus Christ. Sometimes there's a spirit of competition in churches. It's wrong. We shouldn't be competing with churches. If a church is preaching the gospel, then you know what? We are all for them. 
hopefully because we are preaching the gospel, they're all for us. The gospel is what matters. Here's what he says. It could have been me. Could have been one of them. It doesn't matter. It was the gospel that was being preached and you believed it. And that's how he ends this chunk. I gave you the gospel. You received it. Right? And there's evidence to it so you can believe it with not just your heart but also your head. Right? Yes, it's fanciful. Yes, it's mythological. Yes, it's supernatural. But guess what? It's real. And for evidence, you can talk to any of these people that saw him and you can look at the way that their lives were radically changed because they saw him and how they gave everything. Why would you give everything? You've given everything because the resurrection is real. And so nothing you can do to me here, nothing else matters except all of eternity. I want my life, I'm going to be honest with you as we close, I want my life to be easy. I want it to be nice. I want it to be free from pain and hardship. I want it to be something simple. I want my family to be safe. I want them to have enough. Let's be honest, a little extra wouldn't be bad. Right? I want it. Who doesn't? Who doesn't? They did too, I'm sure. But because they'd met the resurrection, the resurrected Jesus... They were willing to give all of that away. They were willing to give all of that away to make sure that other people knew about the resurrected Jesus. So I have two questions for you as we close. One is, for those of you that don't know the resurrected Jesus, you are not Christians. You have not You have not given your life to him. You haven't been pierced by your sin. You haven't been radically transformed in your life. And you have not redirected your energy to living for him. And you know it, right? Like like you don't need me to tell you that. I don't know what's going on in you. I, I don't know, but you know. If you haven't done that, you know that. You're not confused by that. And if that's you, I just want to simply say this to you. What are you waiting for? Because I've met the resurrected Jesus. He's real. Paul met him. And he was radically transformed. The apostles met him. Radically transformed. I've met him. And he has changed my life. If you have not given yourself to him. I don't know what you're waiting for. And maybe today is the day. But for the rest of you. This isn't just another thing that we know. For the rest of you, let me just ask you this one blatantly poking, hard to get along with question. Right? It is hard to get along with, and I know it, right? So I'm doing that on purpose. If you've met the resurrected Jesus, why don't you care about that more? If you've met the resurrected Jesus, Why doesn't that matter more to you? When they met the resurrected Jesus, that literally became all they were about. Like all they were about. When we meet the resurrected Jesus, we're like, that's cool. I will see you again on Sunday. I've got to look for dry shampoo. Right? It's a great analogy, right? It is because that's what we do. Why don't we care more? 
And I just want to challenge you. I just want to challenge you to care more. Care more who you talk to about Jesus. Care more about how much you get to know him. Care more about him than you do other things. I just want to encourage you to care more. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you for your word. I thank you for the evidences that can tell us um, and, and show us and help us understand and prove the gospel. Right? That it wasn't just one person that you told this thing to that said, trust me, it's real. But that you showed yourself consistently over time. You said it would happen. And when it happened, you demonstrated that it was real. Father, I thank you for the men and women of centuries past who were radically changed by the gospel so that we could exist here in this place today. And Father, I pray with all of my heart that we will take it more seriously, that we will care more so that at some point in time, God, people can look at us in our generation and this church and this place and say, you know what? We could see it in their lives. They cared more about showing people the resurrected Jesus than they cared about anything else. God, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for salvation. We thank you that you love us and save us. We pray these things in your name. Amen.